Hi, everyone. Thank you so much for tuning in to the Inspired Churches podcast. We're a church in Union City that loves Jesus. Our hope is that you'd be inspired to grow in God's Word as reflected in loving Christ more and more every day. So wherever you are, be a light. To find more teachings or donate to the ministry, visit us at inspiredchurches.com. It is an honor to be here this morning. I walked in, and uh, I know things have been kind of crazy this morning. I walked in, and all I heard was people screaming and laughing and clapping the whole time, and I loved it. I loved it. You guys give yourself a round of applause for the culture you have. Yeah, there is a, uh, there's a culture here. I felt it. We were talking over here, getting ready, and I heard more clapping. I was like, what? It's like the Warriors game is going on here or something. Um, I don't know if you guys are fans. If not, we'll, we'll pray later. We'll pray later. Uh, it is beautiful. It's a blessing to be here. Um, like Pastor Philip said, I only got to actually hang out with him one time so far. I've heard of him, Pastor Edward, um, connected me. But uh, it's a blessing because I love being around other places where the people of God gather. Uh, there is a passion. There is a unity. Um, I don't know really any of you, but I feel like we're family. I feel like we're family, and that's a blessing where you can go places where you don't know people, but you know them, right? You know them. And so it's a blessing to be here. Um, my wife is here with me this morning, and our kids are not. We're kid-free. Come on, somebody. Can I get a witness? We love our kids. I got a picture of my kids up here. Um, you can see, and uh, I got two kids, Haddon and Summer. This is us in uh, Yosemite uh, hanging out. And so they are awesome, but they're with the grandparents. So we had a kid-free weekend, so we're going to live it up today after church. Go to Ikea, go to Target, do all the cool things that parents do. Uh, and uh, yeah, and so uh, we're blessed. And then I just want to show you a picture of our church, the Movement Church. Is that a prayer night recently? And uh, just to show you the, I love, I love them. Um, yeah, like, like Pastor Philip said, uh, I got the privilege and the opportunity to hop on and take over for Pastor Edward. Pastor Edward is one of my best friends, a mentor of mine, my pastor. And so to be able to, Pastor Philip asked me today how it was going. And the first thing that came to my heart was just, it's so fun. It's so fun. Like, I would have never imagined being able to take over the church that I, I love so dearly. And so it wasn't in my cards, but, you know, God has, a, God has stuff in store for you you don't know. And so it has been a blessing this last year. I've been there for a year as the lead pastor, and it's been nothing but joy. Uh, I mean, there's a whole bunch of crap that has happened. Can I say that? Uh, I'm going to be real with y'all that's okay. Uh, not going to lie. I don't love everyone as much as I love everyone in the church. So, uh, uh, but we would never not love people as much as other people. So, um, but it's a blessing. Uh, it's a blessing to be here uh, while I can just share what God's doing in my heart. If you're taking notes, um, I don't know if you take notes, hopefully you take notes and engage with uh, the message. The title for this morning is, What If There's More? What if there's more? What if there's more? And I have some caveats I want to just bring before you before I start, um, because this is a, I've never really done this before. Um, and in fact, the things that I'm going to be sharing with you today, I really haven't even shared with my church. So, uh, it's kind of like a testing thing. We'll see how it goes. Um, I figured I can get away with it here. So, uh, but um, I have some slides for you to see. This is, this is really fresh on my mind and heart, the stuff that I'm talking about this morning. Like real, real fresh. Like it's the kind of freshness where you're still in the middle of processing something. You know when the Lord convicts you of something, reveals something to you, and you're just still in the middle of processing it. And so I just want to let you know I, uh, I'm not teaching this as someone who has gotten this right 
but someone that uh, I've been convicted of this and I've gotten it wrong, and so I'm on a journey to figure it out. Is that okay with you today? Uh, not a professional coming to you. Um, I don't have the three steps. Uh, I don't know what it looks like yet. Um, and I've, I've, this is something that the Lord has, has shown me. We all know what I'm going to talk about. But you know how the Lord brings a, like a deeper level of conviction on something you've already heard. It's that kind of level where I've learned this, I'm processing it, and uh, I can't go back. I can't go back. And so uh, my goal this morning isn't to give you a neatly packaged conclusion. If you're looking for that this morning, uh, man, pastor, give me the, the verse, give me the implication, give me the takeaway. I'll sing my worship song, and I'm going to go to lunch, and we're going to call it a day, and I did church, and that's awesome, and nothing wrong with that at all, and some mornings I can give you conclusions because Jesus gives us that, but today I want to really put before you the words of Jesus so that those words would provoke thought in your mind and heart, so that you're leaving having to wrestle with the truth that you've already known in a new way. I want you to wrestle with the truth that you already know. I know most of you love Jesus, know Jesus, and so I'm not saying you're immature. I'm saying you're mature. You know this truth already, but somehow somebody say, you know, when you dive into the same truth a fresh way, things change. Things change, and so I want to bring an ancient truth with a fresh angle with a new way of thinking. So if you're taking notes with me, I want to read a question. The way that we have done sermons at the movement is start out the question to kind of frame our time and where we're going. And uh, i got two kind of same questions to put out there. If Jesus was to write down one main activity that his followers should be about, what would it be? It's an important question to ask if you are a follower of Jesus. If Jesus was to write down one main activity that his followers should be about, what would it be? And let me just tell you, it's not love God and love people. That's a given. You're right. If you were thinking like, I know this, I got this, we don't need a sermon. You're right. Love God, love people is it, and that is the main thing. I'm saying like, besides that, what would be the thing that Jesus would say the church should be about? Here's a different way to say it. Is there something that Jesus clearly said to engage in that maybe we have missed? Is there something that Jesus said to engage in that, that maybe we have missed? You know, it, it's so important to have moments of pause and margin because in our fast-paced Bay Area culture, anybody know fast-paced Bay Area culture? You go from thing to thing, and so you're not able to process and think in the value way, but in the moments of margin, if you are intentional, you take a moment to look back and reflect on what have I been doing? Where have I gone? Is is, is the track that I'm on, the track that Jesus actually said to be on, what if I actually veered off? I was driving last night. We were on a double date with some, a different pastor in our church, and uh, I'm so bad at driving. Like, not bad like I break rules, but bad like I'm just so observant of everything else but the road that I, I, tur- like, I turned off an exit I wasn't supposed to. I'm like, how did I get here? I missed a couple of things. And I told the people in the back, you can obviously tell I'm not really concerned about where I'm going. And one wrong turn will lead me to another wrong turn. And next thing you know, I'm like in a different neighborhood. So that could be our way with Jesus where not intentionally we take a wrong turn and we don't reflect. We don't track it back and map it with the GPS. And sooner or later we look back and we're like miles and miles away from where we're. Not intentionally, but it still can happen. And I, I just want to tell you why this is heavy on my heart, why, it's, um, why it matters that you lean in this morning. Because it's, it's, it's something that, that takes seriously that we would question what Jesus has for us. It is very possible. I don't know if you know this. It is very possible that we can be spending 
our time and money on things that Jesus never said to do. How many of you guys know that? It's possible. I'm not saying that anyone is doing that, wink, wink, but me, it's possible that as I look back on my life and my time as a pastor and as a disciple of Jesus, as a husband, as a father, that maybe I've spent my time and money on some things that Jesus really never said to spend time and money on. And that matters because if you're anything like me, I know you love Jesus and you want to follow him and you did not sign up to follow Jesus and then waste your life. You did not sign up to give your life away, say no, self-denial, no party, no this, no that, no, no to the world, yes to Jesus, only to not really listen to Jesus. No, if you really signed up to follow Jesus, then I know your heart of hearts is that you want to follow him, which means you want to, to the best of your ability, do what he says to do. And I don't want to waste my time, and you don't want to waste your time. Another reason why this matters is not doing what Jesus said to do means that we will miss out on something that Jesus promises to happen. You see, there are promises in the Bible. Jesus talks about fruit. Jesus talks about building his church. Jesus talks about blessing. And so when I think about the promises of Jesus, they don't just happen because they happen. There is a way to get and to receive and to walk in those promises. In Deuteronomy, when Israel's walking around, and, uh, you know, Israel, they wild out. Their whole story is wilding out. And uh, we're in the book of Exodus right now, and we just are basically like, yeah, we're Israel. We're complaining. We got delivered from slavery, and then now we're like, where's the bread? And it's just like, whoa, you guys missed it. Um, I'm Israel. But it's easy to see when God looks at us, he's like, no, I want you to follow my direction, and that's blessing. If you don't follow my direction, you won't, be the, you won't receive the blessing that I have for you. How many of you guys know that obedience brings blessing? James 4, he says, I don't want you to be a hearer of the word, but doer of the word. And the end of that passage, he says, because those who do are blessed. You will be blessed in your doing. When we follow the words of God, we receive his blessing more than ever. Trust me, the gospel says you are blessed before you ever did anything. So we're not talking about works. But we are talking about being blessed when you obey the King of kings and Lord of lords because you're walking in the path that he created, not against the universe, but towards the universe, towards life, towards reality. And that just brings blessing. And so if we're not doing what he said to do, we're going to miss out. We're going to leave things on the table. And I don't want to leave stuff on the table. I don't want to leave stuff on the table. So if you're taking notes, here's an outline for this morning. We're going to work through a couple different sections. One, I'm going to just show you the words of Jesus with very little of my commentary, the words of Jesus. I can get in the way of what Jesus says often, so I want to just read the words of Jesus to you, and then we'll talk about some implications and shifts that those kind of words bear and bring on our life, and then just uh, pretty quickly, I don't have, again, a whole bunch of conclusions and, and points, but I want to point us to a way forward from the words of Jesus. You still with me this morning? Yes. Okay, okay, okay. I wonder, if you had to ask yourself, write down the index card right now, how would you describe your activity as the church or in the church? If you had to put a bullet point list of like four or five things down, man, this is what church is like for me. This is what church life is like. I wonder if I put down this slide right here, if you would say any of these things. If you had to talk to a non-believing folk, friend, neighbor, you're like, this is what church life looks like. I attend a Sunday gathering. You guys are here. Check. Good. Uh, learning more about God. Who wants to learn more about God this morning? Right? That's beautiful, good. Uh, maybe you guys have small groups or connection, fellowship groups, places where you go into a smaller community to be encouraged. Uh, serving on a team. Man, this morning, again, there's a culture here. I was like, y'all have a lot of people moving around. I was like, I want to help. He's like, no, sit down. We have a lot of people. 
That's beautiful. Serving on a team, using your gift, and then caring for the city. Man, the fact that you guys are giving groceries to people who don't know Jesus, who aren't part of this church, just to love them, that's beautiful. I would say that's a pretty uh, cross-the-board normal view of our church experience. And I want you to hear this from me. That is beautiful. There's nothing wrong with that. That is beautiful. But we would have to be, if we want to follow Jesus, we have to pause, like I said, have margin. And just for a moment, ask the question, is that all that Jesus had in mind? This is not about we, 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 we were doing wrong things. The question, remember the title, what if there's more? Is that all that Jesus had in mind? And the reason I ask that is, like I told you, it's important, important I don't want to waste my life, but, but the reason why, or the way that we figure that out is not by just kind of getting in a group with a whole bunch of people, talking about our opinions, but going back to what Jesus said. It's so simple. Like, I don't have to figure out what the church should be doing. You know why? Because Jesus told us what the church should be doing. And I'm really guilty of wanting to be creative in the, in, in the expressions of what the church should look like. And uh, what if Jesus had it right the first time he explained it? It's crazy. I go back and I'm like, oh, man, that was right there in front of me. And so today we're going to do that, that experience. Is that okay with you? Opening the scripture. So if you have a Bible, you can turn to Matthew 4, 18. We're going to go through a few passages together. Little commentary, a lot of reading, and uh, you'll know where I'm going probably pretty quick if you know Jesus. But uh, again, we want to wrestle with these in a fresh way. So before you turn to Matthew 4, it'll be on the screen. I'm going to take a moment for you just to bow your head and pray because, again, I'm aware from my own experience that I can take these verses that I'm very familiar with and you're familiar with and uh, see them the same way I've seen them. So we want to ask the Lord, the Holy Spirit, to come and open our eyes to see things in a fresh way. So if, you're, if you can bow your heads with me in your own words, would you just be able to ask? You don't have to say anything fancy. If you're a new Christian or non-believer, if you're a non-believer and you're here, I'm assuming you want to know something about Jesus or God. So maybe just out, simply just say to, to the Lord, God, would you open my eyes to see something fresh? We don't want to just play church and just say we heard a sermon. God, would you open our eyes to the life-giving words of Jesus and help us to see them in a fresh way? If you want to hear from God this morning, would you say amen with me? Amen, amen Lord, amen. Okay, Matthew 4, 18. One day, someone say one day. Amen. One day, as Jesus, he's 30 years old, as walking around, Pastor Phil said, he said, how old are you today? I said, 33. He's like, oh, you're Jesus here. I was like, is that a compliment? <laughs> I mean, I'm ready to go to heaven, but whatever. One day, as Jesus was walking along the shore of the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon, also called Peter, and Andrew, throwing a net into the water, for they fished for a living. So important. They fished for a living. The text goes on to say, and he said to them, follow me, and I will make you fishers of people, fishers of men. Immediately. Someone say Immediately. Immediately, right away, crazy, right away, they left their nets and followed Jesus. I want you to look at the highlighted words with me. Follow me. I don't know if you know this, but the word disciple literally means student, an apprentice. So when you are called the disciple or when the disciples are called the disciples, that's not like 12 special people. That's everyone who believes in Jesus, who's a follower of Jesus. You are a student of a rabbi, an apprentice, and you want to become like Jesus. You want to be with him. You want to do the things he did. That's why they knew because the rabbis were going around picking students and the fishermen weren't the people being picked. 
The people in the class were people getting picked. But Jesus did things differently. How many of you know Jesus do things? He does a lot differently than the leaders and the, the ways that the religious leaders said they were going to do them. So he picks these people who shouldn't be picked. And he says, follow me. But it's interesting. He doesn't just say, follow me, period. He says, follow me, and I will make you fishers of people. Matthew 9, 37. A little bit later, he's talking to this group of disciples that he had chosen and called to himself. And he says this. He's looking out in a crowd of people. He had just gone preaching the gospel. And he looks out in the crowd and says that Jesus' heart broke because he had compassion on them. They were like a sheep without a shepherd. And he turns to the disciples. He said, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. The harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are free. Therefore, pray earnestly. So interesting. Pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest for what? To send out laborers into the harvest. What Jesus did not say, and I would expect him to say is, based on my church experience, therefore, pray earnestly for the harvest to walk into where you're at. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. Matthew 28, Matthew 28. At this point, we had the first call of the disciples. We had Matthew about nine or 10, where Jesus is in the middle of his discipleship and his apprenticeship with, we're training them. And then Matthew 20 is the end of this. I'm trying to go in chronological order. Matthew 28, one of the last things Jesus says to his disciples, you know this verse, 28, 18. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey. Not just teaching them, teaching them to obey all that I have commanded you. And if that wasn't enough, Jesus secures that command with a promise and behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Go, make disciples, baptize, teach them to obey all nations. Then the last thing he said, 40 days after his resurrection, to the apostles, Acts 1.8. The apostles, they were kind of like us, kind of like Israel. They didn't get it. They are sitting on a mountain, standing on a mountain. Jesus is about to ascend to heaven. And they're like, yo, when are you going like, to restore the kingdom of Israel to us? And Jesus is like, I'm about to go, y'all. What are you talking about restore the kingdom? But this is what he says in light of that. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. No, 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 no. I'm, I'm not going to stay here and build up my kingdom in the way that you think I'm going to. Actually, I'm leaving, but you're going to receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you will be my, what, witnesses in Jerusalem and in Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Yeah. Jesus says, no, 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 no. You're not waiting for me to build a kingdom up. I'm, I'm, I'm actually going to send you. You're going to be my witnesses. You're going to be my witnesses. What are the implications of this? What is Jesus saying? I mean, it's a lot, right? Like, what is Jesus saying? It's, it's simple. It's super simple, but it's also very challenging, very challenging. And I just want to put the words of Jesus before us because I know left to my own devices, because this is challenging, I will choose comfort. Anybody here like me? I choose comfort. I choose things that are easier, naturally. I'm not the all-star, sacrificing all the time, missionary, on the line. That rap, that's a, that's a flow, man. 
got a, can you cut that up and put a beat behind it? I'm not that guy. I'm not the rapper either. It's important to say, what is Jesus saying? So I want to reverse and go through those um, passages with us with one implication for each. Is that okay with y'all? One implication. Just bring some light into what Jesus is saying. He says, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. He's walking around to Peter and Andrew and, and he says, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. To them, they are listening to this and they're thinking, okay, that means that the goal of my following Jesus is to eventually help other people follow Jesus. At some level, he had to think Jesus was telling them, you are catching fish all day long. You're bringing fish out of water into your boat. And what I'm going to do is to help you bring people out of the pits of hell and into the kingdom. Jesus' aim in having us follow him is to eventually have us help others follow. Right from the start, Jesus communicated this goal. It wasn't like when they were ready. Right from the start. And some of us are like, yeah, but I'm not ready. You know what? I wasn't ready to have kids. And they're still alive. Right from the start. Next thing, he says in Matthew 9, the harvest is what? Plentiful, but the laborers are few. Can I tell you, this is a convicting, convicting passage for me. Because I would always argue naturally that we have a harvest issue. There aren't people ready for the gospel. The Bay Area is so liberal. They don't want you. They aren't hungry. People aren't spiritually interested. That's what CNN says. That's what Fox News says. That's what everyone else says. But Jesus says, we don't have a harvest issue. We have a shortage of laborers. You know what? I want a harvest issue because then it's on them. Labor issue is on the church. Now, I'm telling something I don't want to do, y'all. Can I be really honest? Yeah. Give me a haircut with my guy that I get a haircut with every month and a half or so, and he's not a believer, and I'm learning this stuff, and I'm like, dang, Lord, I got to talk to him more and more. I got to do something about this. Can't just get a haircut. That's we have a shortage of laborers. And Jesus says, don't pray for the harvest to come to you. Pray for more people to go. You know what? He's, it's interesting. The Greek word is harvest. It's actually harvest. What he's saying and what I'm, I'm interpreting <laughs> Isn't that wild? I spent $8,000 for uh, Bible college to learn that. What that means is that they're ready for harvest. It doesn't mean Jesus is saying, you need to go out and sow the seed and till the ground and do all this. Jesus said, I did that. Now go, people are ready. Now, because we had the pressure, I got to go convert people? No, Jesus never said go convert people. He said, I will do that. You go make disciples of them. Yes, you got to share the gospel. Yes, he's talking about all that. But, but the idea that I get is that the harvest means it's ready for you to go get. You don't have to do all this work and, and trick them into thinking it's four spiritual laws and all this stuff. The pressure isn't on you. I've done the work. But we do have to go out. Jesus says in Matthew 28, go therefore and make disciples of all nations. You know what? Jesus had, had never at this moment in his life, 33 years that we have all his words in the scriptures, he had never at this moment prefaced a command like this. It's interesting that the last time he's speaking to his disciples, he prefaces it with all authority has been given to me what, on heaven and on earth. Those are the two spheres. So every inch of the cosmos, I have authority over. And you think that after that, he would say something like, I don't know, love God and love people. I already said that. 
All authority on heaven and earth has been given to me. Now go to church and read your Bible. All authority on heaven and earth has been given to me. So make sure you have your quiet time. All authority on heaven and earth has been given to you. Make sure you get in a small group. Are those things awesome? Yes, they're awesome. But it's so interesting that Jesus says this. He chooses this. And I find it challenging that Jesus leaves them with this task. This is a command, not an option. For most of my life, I have lived as that is an option. And I have thought discipleship to be only inside the church, disciple the people in the church. And that is true. Discipleship happens in the church. But then he says, make disciples, which means you're not just discipling continually. You are going to get people and starting them out from zero to 100. You're working to train them to follow Jesus. It's an intentional act, not accidental. It doesn't just happen naturally. It happens with intentionality. Jesus, from the moment, said, I'm bringing you on. I'm going to disciple you. Isn't that interesting? He says, I'm going to disciple you. Three years is up. He says, now go do what I've done with you. So this command is not unique to them because they're like, I've been discipled by you and now I know what it means to disciple. Spend time with people and help them follow the words of Jesus and the life of Jesus. Simple, not complicated. Lastly, he says in Acts, you will be my witnesses to the ends of the earth. I love that. He says the Holy Spirit is gonna come upon you to be my witness. And you know what happens later on? The Holy Spirit falls on the church. And you know what happens. I've, I've never seen this so clearly. Pentecost, people always think that they're speaking in tongues. And the tongues is like a spiritual language. And the tongues is real, that's a spiritual language. But at this moment, they are speaking the words of the people that are there from all kinds of nations. And what are they speaking? The words and works of God. They are doing what Jesus promised to happen. The Holy Spirit is going to empower you to be my witnesses. You're going to witness. You're going to share who I am and what I've done so people can listen. And at that point, they were like, yo, they're speaking in my language the works of God. We each are empowered to do this work by the Holy Spirit. Look at me, Inspired Church. You don't have to wait to get a Bible college degree. You don't have to wait till you're year six following Jesus. You don't have to wait till you stop doing the sin that you're struggling with. Jesus said, you are a mess. Now go make disciples. You're not making disciples of you. You're making disciples of Jesus. Maybe we think we're making disciples of us. Yeah, we want people to follow us as we follow Jesus, but the best way we're gonna teach people to follow Jesus is to show them we're ratchet too. Can I say that word here? And so that people can see, we have this treasure in jars of clay. It's not really about us. Disciple through weakness. You know how many times I'm in shepherding meetings and I'm like, I'm a bigger mess than you are. (laughs) Bringing the gospel to all people in all places, to the ends of the earth. That means it could never have just been the 12 apostles. Can you hear me? Because if the 12 apostles, it was up to them to bring it to all the earth. They're never, you and I would not be here today. You and I are here today because someone took this seriously that wasn't just an apostle or a pastor. Here's the main idea. To be a disciple of Jesus is undeniably linked to making disciples of Jesus. I want you to hear me this morning. To be a disciple of Jesus is undeniably linked to making disciples of Jesus. It's not the only thing that a disciple of Jesus does, but it is a main thing. 
And I'm convicted because it hasn't been a main thing in my discipleship to Jesus. Yes, I made disciples in the church. So let's, like, let's say yes and amen to that. But again, what if there's more? What if we miss the first half? In other words, Jesus never separated our personal devotion to him with our missional engagement in the world. In his plan, they were two sides of the same coin. If I'm honest, it's easier for me to separate my personal devotion to Jesus and then like missional stuff over there. And so when I got this down, then I'll go over here. And Jesus said, no, no, no. You know, the most intimate thing Jesus has about your personal devotion to him is abide in me. Abide, right? You're the branch, he's the vine, intimate, receive his love, abide, spend time praying. But what does he say in that verse? Abide in me so that what? You can have your quiet time? No, no, abide in me so that you can bear fruit. Everything Jesus wants to do in you, he's ultimately trying to push through you to something. It's for you, but not full stop, period. It's for you and it blesses you and it also is for somebody else. So every quiet time, every prayer moment, everything you're fasting from, everything you're saying no to sin is for your formation and sanctification and for the sake of others. Jesus can use it for both. It's the same coin, two different sides. What is Jesus' vision for the church? Simply, the church does not exist just for itself, but for the sake of the world. couple clarifying points and then I'm just going to share some of personal stuff. It's easy to think that this is the case. We're supposed to make disciples. Go out there and make disciples. Again, I'm not telling you how. Pastor Phil can figure that out. I don't know. I'll come back for part three of this series, whatever. Um, but here's what I do know. This is not a marginal program. This is not some like, okay, Chris, that's cool. So then we have a discipleship ministry over here and then we do everything else. It's not a marginal program. Again, we can see from the scriptures, and that was only four passages. It's one of Jesus' main things that had a heartbeat of him going. He was all about that. It's not a temporary initiative. It is not an option or a suggestion. This is a command from our king. And I know you, you're mature, you love Jesus, which means you care about obeying Jesus. And so we have to just say, include this into the commands that we want to obey. That's all. We're just so, e- we're so easily like, trained with all the things happening that that's over there as an as a option, suggestion, and over here is the commands. And so we don't feel convicted that we're not obeying it because that's for the missionaries, that's for the apostles, that's for the, the parachurch ministries. But Jesus is saying it's for all my people. So let me ask you a question. You can search your own heart. Does this describe your life? Is this where you are putting your energy and time into? Is this your normal experience of church? You know, I I don't know most of you. So this could be happening and half the church is making disciples outside of the church. It could be a few of you are really passionate about this. I don't doubt that it's not happening. Again, what if there's more? What if there's more? Can I be honest? This does not describe my life or the heartbeat of our church. I was really honest, our theology says we care about lost people more than our strategies and our schedules. That hurts to say. We do care about lost people. We have seen people come to know Jesus in the nine years of the church. You see people come to Jesus right now. But the way they're coming to Jesus is not the way Jesus said them to have them come to Jesus. They're just coming through the doors and stumbling in. Again, should we praise God for that? But what if there's more? Yeah, that's good. That's good work. 
I care about lost people. You care about lost people. But can I just be honest? And I don't know about you. This is for me. Maybe I don't care about them enough to actually do something about it. Maybe the, maybe the problem, I've been wrestling with this. Why don't I do this more? Why am I not just sharing Jesus at all places and asking people to do this with me and open the Bible? Why? And I can think about all the excuses, but this is for me. You have to search your own heart. Maybe I just can be really honest. My heart is not burdened for lost people because my heart is consumed with my life. In order for us to take Jesus' words seriously, we will have to make some real shifts in how we do things, right? To take these words seriously, we can't just be like, dope, and then do the same stuff we've been doing. Because right now, I can tell you, and, and that's why I'm preaching it here, I'm kind of leading you on the journey that I'm on. I don't have the conclusions. Um, we're going through some books and scriptures, and we're going to be fasting and praying through our staff leadership, and it's going to be a long journey. But I could tell you, um, in a couple of years' time, our church is probably not going to look anything like it does now. I just know that, but I don't know what. I have no clue what this is going to look like. It could be the same, I guess, but I, I, I know that things are not going to be the same. Here's a couple of shifts I want to leave you with, and we're going to think about a way forward. Number one, a shift that I think has to happen has to go from a few people making disciples to everyone engaging. I don't think Jesus left us any kind of room to say only a few people can do this, right? Everyone. This is not you give up your job and work for a church. No, 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 no. This is you stay at home and do homeschool. You go to the coffee shop. You stay at your job. You do all the things you are in the places you are. You don't need to go to China or Africa. You have people across the street from you. You know why this is so cool? Because it's right where you are. Right where you are. Nothing wrong with going across the overseas. But we have a mission field here. Y'all know that people are sending people, missionaries to America. We're the lost nation. What's beautiful is this is happening in Iran and Africa and the Middle East, this is happening over here. This is happening in the church. The church is growing because Jesus promises it to grow. But it's growing by this. Number two, the shift has to go from relying on programs to depending on God's spirit and God's word to do the work. If I could be honest, I would love to just start a new program that could facilitate this movement. And then when a new program comes, I'll rely on that new program. I can make an idol out of a program. That's why I just have to restrict myself from... One, I'm not preaching this to my church, I'm preaching it to you guys. <laughs> Two, um, it's just easy for me to wrap structure around this and then, and then it becomes not relying on God. It's just relying on the thing that we have. But you know that back then they didn't have a winter program. They just had God's spirit, God's word, and God's people. And we're here today because of that. That's sufficient. You have, each of you have that, which means you don't need anything else. You can do this. You must do this. Jesus has a vision for you doing this. Shift number three, from celebrating how many people are coming to celebrating how many people are going. This is more for leaders than anyone, but we can get excited in our church when the room is full, right? And we can get uh, discouraged when the room is not full. And is that a, a bad thing? No, we want people to come and hear the word of God and worship. It's a, it's a good sign. So again, beautiful, but our metrics have to shift. If the word shifts, the word tells us, go make disciples. So this is important. You need to keep doing this because it forms us into the image of Jesus. We get to worship. I was so ministered this morning by the worship team. I love it. This needs to happen. But the celebration and the metrics have to change for the game to be changed the way Jesus wants to play it. And so the metrics change to say, we're not just excited about filling these seats. We're excited about empowering people to go and fill the city. 
that's going to be a way more effective strategy than trying to get lost people through these doors. Lastly, the shift has to come from filling our schedules with internal activities and relationships to creating margin and space to be with people outside the church. And I'm just convicted of this. I'm a pastor, and I, I, I used to own a coffee shop and be engaged with non-believers all the time. And then I became a pastor full-time, and uh, I know very few people that don't know Jesus. I don't spend much time with them. And I know my job is primarily equipping the saints for the work and ministry, but if I'm going to tell the church to do this, I got to change. And uh, maybe your heart wants to, but you're just trapped in like a cycle of like every night is something with internal, with a church or a person or a Christian or your friend. And look at, again, be a part of the small group. Go to the prayer night. You've got to be built up. The church needs to be built up, but you're built up not just for the sake of being built up. You're built up so you can go out. You gather to scatter and then you come back to gather. Wouldn't that make worship services way more impactful because you came in beat up over a, a whole week of trying to make disciples and you came back and you're like not worshiping Jesus just for yourself, but for other people. And you have testimonies of God working through you and you're like God you're way more beautiful this morning than I ever thought you were because I saw you work instead of just my own personal life God you're using me and some of us our faith does need to be woken up to be used by God and let me tell you God wants to use each one of you inside this room every single person that's how it's going to grow I want to spend the rest of my life releasing people and helping them believe they can be used by God to do exactly what the disciples did I believe it why else does God have you here? He can zap you right up to heaven. But he doesn't because you are his body, his extension on earth. So where do we go from here? It's a great question and I have no answers to that. So, <laughs> but I got some convictions. I told you this earlier, but I'm not sure what it all looks like. I'm not. I know we're supposed to do this. I'm not sure how to always do it. I don't know the details. But I do know if I'm going to take Jesus' word seriously, I can't keep doing what I've always done. I, I do know that. Maybe you're doing what you, what you need to be doing and you can teach me. And I'm not saying that as a humble like juke. I'm really serious. I need to learn from people who are really doing this. Because our vision of the American church in the West is we're all doing kind of a similar vein of things. But this is not the majority of the church. The majority of the church in the world are doing this kind of stuff. And so we're just thinking it's not possible. No, it's possible. We're the minority in America. I want you to know that. There are a lot of other people with churches that don't look like our churches that are making disciples. I've seen them. I've talked to them. I've heard stories of, of a woman in Africa who's never been trained making, uh, she planted 80 churches in the last three years. Now the churches are 15 people, but that's still more people that are coming to the movement, more people that have come in, in her three years of giving their life to Jesus than, than we've seen. Why? Because she's just living out the command of Jesus. It doesn't mean every single person is going to come to Jesus when you talk to them. But it does mean that we got we to gotta shoot the shot more. The way forward, we can't go on thinking that the way we currently structure the church is the most fruitful way to help people know Jesus. I want to be very clear this morning. If you feel any kind of conviction, that's awesome. If you feel condemnation and shame, that's not my goal. I feel a lot of conviction. We shouldn't feel shame. Jesus, we spoke about his blood. He's absorbed that. There's no shame in here, but there is conviction. The Holy Spirit, Jesus says, brings conviction. Sometimes we think conviction is something else. It's conviction for a reason. God wants us to change. And I just know that the way that I structure, the church that I lead, can, is not the most fruitful way to make disciples. 
So I can either say, well, that's not for me. Let's just keep doing this and see a few people come to Jesus a year unless God wants to do something else. Or I say, let's risk changing things for the sake of more people coming to Jesus. That's the options before me. So here's the way I can see you responding. Number one, wrestle with Jesus' words. Like, take these. If you have to write them down and we watch the sermon and write these, these, these verses down, don't write my points down. Write the verses down. Put them on a mirror and just stare at them and say, how am I doing this? How does this map over my life? To be a follower of Jesus means to follow Jesus. This is part of following Jesus. And then ask God to reset your perspective. Our perspective isn't so trained to think of church a certain way and to think that pastors do this kind of work and that evangelism is all, and we think, we just think a different way and I'm just aware that it could change. Jesus says it could change. But the one thing that I have to do is pray that God resets my perspective because if he doesn't, I'm gonna keep holding on to my vision and my view and God has to deconstruct my view so I can receive his fresh truth. So maybe you have to just sit some time praying. And then lastly, when you wrestle with Jesus' words, and you ask God to reset your perspective. And it starts to change. Make small steps to obey Jesus. Don't wait for Pastor Philip to change the church. Don't wait for something, a new opportunity to come. Don't wait for the perfect time. Just do it. You know what? Jesus sent them out in the middle of his three-year training, and he promised it. He promised that people would reject them. He promised it was going to be messy. So if you're thinking, well, I don't want to be rejected. I don't want to fail and make a mess. Then you might as well just sit on the bench the whole time because on the court, it's messy. Yeah. Okay. But I just wonder if we love Jesus enough and see his glory and his blood enough to be like, man, the mess is worth it. Yeah. Are we afraid of being rejected? And what if like one out of 10 people come to Jesus? Is our personal rejection and our feelings being hurt okay with someone having their eternity changed? Yeah. Right. I'm just speaking to myself. Yeah. Would you stand with me as we close? I want to read a scripture over you. Just kind of bring this before our minds. Revelation 5. Revelation 5 is where I want to be. It's on the screen. Again, I don't have a neatly packaged conclusion, the three steps of how to do this. I know. I know your pastor loves Jesus. I know you love Jesus. I can see the culture of humility and grace and joy here. I see something beautiful happening here. The culture is set. You love each other. The task is ahead of you. The people are around you. You have the resources. But maybe you don't have the fuel. The motivation isn't there. Let me put something before you. Revelation 5, verse 9. And they sang a new song. This is the picture of heaven. This is in the throne room of God. This is the song that's being sung right now. And they sang a new song. Worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seals. For you were slain. And by your blood you ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. And you have made them a kingdom and priests to our God, and they shall reign on the earth. Do you know the center, the white hot center of eternity, and the white hot center of the throne room is a lamb that was slain. A lamb that was slain, God atoning for your sin, not just for your sin, 
but for every people, every tribe, every language, every nation. God bled so that everyone could be atoned for their sin and everyone could know who he is. And I wonder, maybe the fuel that I need, that you need, is not some kind of go-getter message, is not some kind of three-step plan, but that you would just stare more at the blood of Jesus and the lamb that was slain and said, your blood is the fuel for mission. You are worthy for me going out. If I love you so much and I receive your blood for my forgiveness and I've been atoned for and I'm righteous, then don't I want to share that with others who I'm walking past? I was going to church the other day on the way to preach the message last week and in the car on the 98th Avenue, I was... I was driving down, ready to preach a message, and the Lord just whispered to me and said, you're driving past all these people that don't know you to go to a building with a small group of people that do. I'm not saying don't go to Sunday service, but there are so many people out there that are hopeless. You know the hope that you have. We sang about a better word. It is a better word. And the country out there, the group out there, they don't have that better word. They don't have that hope. They're sitting in shame and condemnation. They have no clue what to do. So they're drugging themselves on Netflix and food and addictions to jobs. So they don't have to feel the pain. And we're sitting here with an antidote. God, we, would you posture, put your hands open. God, we look at you and we say, you are worthy, Jesus. We just stare at you. Maybe I haven't gone and made disciples like I'm supposed to because I've been staring at myself too much. So God, forgive me for being consumed by my feelings and my agenda and my thing. You are worthy and your blood was not just for me or America, but for every tribe, every nation, every people group. And the only way they will receive your blood is through your people being witnesses. You did the work. We're just going to share the, the message. So God, we want you because you're worthy. Worship is the fuel. You are worthy. And so your blood becomes a precious fuel for us going out so that more people can experience the joy that we're experiencing this morning. God, I want to see a movement happen in the Bay Area. A movement of things where people are released and sent out. Not having all these gimmicks and programs. Just saying, I have the word of God. I have this hope of Jesus. Can I tell you how you can have your sins forgiven? Can I tell you that God loves you? Can I tell you that you don't have to sit in your shame? Can I tell you there's power over addiction? All in the name of Jesus. Not a program or a pastor or a church or a, a structure. God, would you help us see you're beautiful. You are worthy. And so we just ask that we're going to sing. You would empower us by your spirit. Would we walk out today saying two things? You are beautiful, and we have what it takes to do this. Yes, thank you. You've given us your spirit, God. So may we have the confidence, not in ourselves, but in your spirit in us, to start making disciples and sharing the best news we've ever heard in our lives. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. As we sing this song, maybe you have to just repent. Just repent before the Lord and say, Lord, I just haven't used my time, my money, and my effort to do this. There's forgiveness. But then after you repent and as you receive the conviction, would you say, God, would you fill me so I can do this? 
this is something you can do today because the spirit of God is in you yes. and he's given you everything you need. So let's look to Jesus. Amen. Let's look to Jesus.